Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Craig Price, and I'm honored to be here this morning to uh, lead us in our study over the next four weeks in stewardship. Well, stewardship comes from a word in the uh, Greek New Testament that is usually translated manager, steward, this kind of uh, translation. It could be used of in the, in the secular writings of the New Testament day for a treasurer, could be a city manager, and even there's a writing where it was used for a chief chef. Well, Paul used the word oikonomos to refer to stewards of the gospel. But the one that intrigues me is the last usage of this word in 1 Peter. And this is what caught my attention. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering, there's our word, faithfully administering God's grace in its variety of forms. Now, as Taylor mentioned earlier in uh, his introduction, that stewardship involves every area of our lives. And if we take Peter's words, we see that every one of us is a steward. Now, whether we are effective or ineffective is all depends on uh, how we administer our gift. So over the next four weeks, I promise you, no browbeating, we're going to just look at this topic in its broad scope. And uh, I've chosen the title Portraits of, uh, of Givers in the New Testament because each one of these sermons will focus on one person. Now I'd like to put a picture up here for you. It's the laughing Jesus. Perhaps you've seen this picture. Um, a lady gave me this, this portrait, this artist's rendition, it was, it was drawn by a fellow named um, uh, Wilkes Watley. They've traced this down. He was Canadian, and he, he made this painting for one of uh, his denomination's uh, buildings, and they hung it in the rotunda or something, and it caught people's attention. But I love this picture. I lost mine in Katrina. And it had a, a personal note from the lady who gave it to me. But this is, in my mind, this is my Jesus. I see Jesus as a very joyous individual. Not a stern, austere man. Only when the times come where he has to confront sin. But I love this portrait of Jesus. And I think it captures the joy that he has and the love that he has for us as believers and what he did for sinners when he gave his life for us. And so the profile we're going to see today really comes from the heart and I think generates from this kind of a, an impression, at least in my mind it does. Because as we look at a portrait of our gracious God today, this is how I imagine Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, uh, 
take your Bible or your electronic version of your Bible or the Pew Bible in front, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel in, and go over to verse 30, excuse me, 27. Luke 6 and 27. And I'd like to, uh, to read this passage, and then we're going to just walk right through it. That's, that's how I preach. I just sort of walk down through the Scripture and, and, uh, and pretty much uh, do expositional-type uh, messages. So, I'm reading from the New International Version, and Jesus said this. This is actually in the Sermon on the Plain, not the airplane, but the flat spot. There's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And Luke's version, Luke tells us he was on a plain or a flat place. Uh, a lot of debate over that among scholars, but we'll save that for another day. But in this sermon, I pick it up after the Beatitudes, and Jesus says this. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those that curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that for you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then, then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Well, as I broke this passage down, I saw the first section in verse 27 is a profile of God-like love. Now, I will say that um, Daryl Bach says of this passage, 
a great New Testament scholar, a Lucan scholar. He said, this is tough love. I'm quoting him. It's tough because it's tough on the believer who loves. It is radical love because it calls for denying oneself and being continually exposed to abuse. It is a love not of power, manipulation, or arrangement, but of service and meekness, end of quote. I think he's right on with this because when I read these passages, I find these very difficult to do. Don't you? I mean, look at what he says to do. Love your enemies. Well, the context here that he has given us back in verse 22 is that people will hate Christians because we love the Son of Man. And those are the enemies that he's talking about. It's in that workplace where someone abuses you or mistreats you or pulls rank on you because they know you're a believer and they can't stand Christianity because perhaps they're under conviction themselves. But Jesus said, love your enemies. He said, do good to those who hate you. That's tough to do. That is very hard to do, especially when you're in the moment, feeling the sting of that hatred. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. They call curses on us, and we are to call blessings on them. Pray for those who mistreat you. This means to be insulted and to be despitefully used and abused. Then he says, if you are slapped on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. This was probably from the context of the synagogue because if they didn't want you in worship anymore and this would happen to Jews who would turn to Christ, they would walk up and you get slapped on the side of the face and that means you're out, you're excommunicated. And Jesus said, turn the other cheek. These are hard things to do. And he says, if someone takes your coat, give them your best shirt underneath of it. Give to all who ask without asking for return. Then he comes in with this beautiful statement. We call it the golden rule. You know it well. This is the Lucan version. But he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, if we parse that out a little bit, it really says, and I know my friend Dr. Stevens is checking his Greek text on his phone right now, it really says, what do you wish other people to do for you? Treat them that way. What we wish other people would do for us we're to take the lead and do that for them. See, the English turns that the other way. In the Greek text, it's backwards. It has that word to wish. What we wish others would do, we should do to them. Well, that's the profile of God-like love. That's where it all begins. We can't even begin to be a giver <laughs> until we get this part right. This is the first step. Now, Jesus takes this profile 
And then he shows us the profile of world-like love. It's absolutely the opposite. This is what I see as the lowest level of love. So if we love people that love us, that is so easy to do. In, in fact, Luke says, what kind of grace is that on your account? In other words, it's easy. If somebody loves me, I love them back, we're buddies. Hey, that's easy to do. So Jesus said, don't think you're going to get much credit for that. Even sinners can do that. You don't have to be a believer to love the people that love you. To do good for people who do good for us. Same thing. Even the sinners know how to do that. If we lend and expect repayment, well, sinners lend to sinners all the time and expect payment back. So Jesus takes these these commandments, because they're all imperatives, and he he raises them to a new level. And he said, we have to start here. So I think back to that profile of Jesus, the laughing Jesus. That's what he's telling us to do. This is how we are to live. Well, in verse 35, he comes in with a reprise. And as Pastor Rick will tell you, every great musician has a reprise, right? You come to the chorus, and you sing it again. I remember I heard John uh, Phillips uh, lecturing one time, and he said that the uh, selah in the Psalms, he translated selah like this. I I don't think our musicians actually know, or Hebrew scholars, how to translate that word, but selah is in the text, and it means, according to John Phillips, sing it again. I love that. The reprise. So Jesus gives us the commandments, gives us the standard, and then he comes back and he hits the high points again. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything in return. There's the chorus. Let's sing it again. (laughs) Love your enemies, do good. Lend without expecting. But notice what he puts in the next part. If we love our enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back, then, ah, here's the good part. (laughs) Then, if we do that, he says, our reward will be great. Hmm. So if I want God to reward me with great things, I'm going to have to behave like God. My heart's going to have to get turned around. And I'll tell you, it is not easy to love everybody, to love our enemies, especially when they're doing nasty things to us. It's it's human nature. It's hard. But if we do these things and love our enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting in return, our reward will be great. Now, it gets better. And then we'll even be called children of the Most High. Now, if you'll go back to Luke 1.32 and look at that verse for just a moment. 
when Gabriel came to Mary and she said, he said, Mary, in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, flip back over to the sermon. When we love people by the golden rule and we don't behave like sinners because that's the low level, but we love our enemies, do good to them, lend to them, our reward will be great and we are then called children of the Most High. Jesus deserves that place and that title, the Son of the Most High. But then we become children of God. I'd say that's a pretty good reward, wouldn't you? That's a pretty good designation. I'll take that. Now, I don't want you to miss this next statement because when you talk about the portrait of the the laughing Jesus, I'm going to confess to you something. As I was studying these passages, Dr. Vandercook, Sandy Vandercook gave me my assignment back in May. I've been reflecting on these passages all through the summer. And um, I'm still working on the other three that we're going to do. I'm learning as we go here. I saw something, I'm going to confess, I, I have not noticed before. I've seen it because I've read it before. I just didn't pay attention to it. But look at who our God is. Verse uh, 35. The second part, we will be called sons of the Most High because He, the Most High God, is gracious. The NIV says kind, but it's really the word charis. It's the word grace. He is gracious, uh, I'm sorry, he is kind, he's benevolent to the ungracious, and he is benevolent to the wicked. Hmm. It kind of changes our perspective on sinners, does it not? That God is benevolent to the ungracious, And even the wicked? Hmm. That's an interesting statement. And that caused me to pause for a long time one day thinking about my perceptions of the wicked and what my first thoughts are about people who are wicked. And I love Daryl Bach's comments here. He says, it's because we have this perception that they are beyond hope. And we need to understand that the grace and love of God can reach even the most hardened heart. I mean, he reached my heart that was hard toward God as a young man. Well, the main point is this, and he brings, really I would say this is the main point of the whole sermon. He says, become merciful. I know the NIV says, be merciful. But it's really the word, it's a commandment to start becoming merciful. 
because he is merciful. And as I, as I looked at that verse, I thought, hmm, it's, it's something that I have to work on all the time. That's why he uses the word become. Because none of us have attained it yet. So we are always working on it. Become merciful as your Father is merciful. And the laughing Jesus shows us his love for mankind. When we're merciful, it's it's an interesting idiom in different languages. It can mean to show one's heart. To look inside at our heart. And let our hearts be like God's heart. How do we do that? By all of those things we just read. It takes all of that. This is the summary statement. If we're going to be givers, we have to learn from the master giver. (laughs) So, we practice the golden rule. We practice becoming merciful like God. There's even, in in Hebrew thought, it can even mean you feel the emotion in the stomach. Where the Greeks centered the emotion at the heart, the Hebrews saw it more visceral. That's why that funny translation in the King James, the bowels of mercy. Paul uses that term over in Philippians. I always wondered as a young Christian, why did he use that term? It's really from Hebrew thought. It's the, the Hebrew saw the seat of emotion as, our, as the center of our body, our visceral. So it could mean to feel it in one's stomach and also another idiom according to Loanida, a lexicon, to treat someone as a loving child. Wow. So if we practice the golden rule, <laughs> be merciful be becoming merciful as he is mercy, then we're in the position to actually make application. And here it comes. Now it gets harder. If you think that first part was hard, look at the next part. Oh my goodness. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. I thought long and hard about this passage because my tendency is to call judgment when I see things. That's, that's, it's, that's not supernatural, that's natural. I tend to go to that, and I have to stop and say, God, forgive me for being critical of this person. Lord, change my heart. Help me become merciful like you are merciful. So if we do not judge, and it means to be critical, it means to, it means to place judgment. In, it's actually like setting ourselves up in God's position and saying, I'm going to make the determination on your life of who you are and what's in your heart. And Jesus said, don't do that. Do not judge, and then we shall not be judged. Wow. The second one is, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Mm. So the first one is setting ourselves up as the judge, and then when we place condemnation on someone, we're making ourselves like the jury. Jesus said, don't do that. 
The third one is even, I think, harder than the other two. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I prayed about whether I should share this example or not, but I'm going to use an example from my own life because I think many of you may have been in a similar situation. Without any details, it doesn't matter who it was or where it was, when it was, but I learned a a great lesson about forgiveness. I have three in my life where God has taught me forgiveness in a big way. And this was one of the three I'll share today. And I had, a, I had a, a staff member who was actually misappropriating money. I don't know how you say that any nicer. And I began to pray. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, I prayed for a long time and went to our finance committee. And we made some changes in the way money was handled in the church. And this individual made it his goal to get rid of this pastor (laughs) who just kind of upset the cart. And it ensued with some, some pretty difficult months that turned into years. And I was praying one morning, and my heart was full of bitterness. I was full of hatred because of how this man was treating me and my family. And God said to me, it was so clear, he said, Craig, ask me to bless him. I said, Lord, have you not been paying attention to what's been going on? (laughs) You know what this fellow's doing to me? And it was just clear. I mean, sometimes God speaks to us in our heart Like Adrian Rogers said, does God speak to us? Yes, he does. He said, is it audible? He said, it's louder than that sometimes. I love that phrase. So God spoke and said, if you want me to forgive you, you have to forgive him. I said, I can't do it, God. I can't. It's just too hard. And he said, forgive him. Ask me to bless him. So I gritted my teeth. And I prayed it out loud. I said, oh, God, forgive him. Bless him. (laughs) Boy, that that sounded real convincing, didn't it? The next morning I got up, and again, God said, ask me to bless him. I said, Lord, I did. Ask me again. And it got a little easier, but it was still pretty hard. This went on for day after day after day. About the fourth day, it started, my heart started changing. And I said, okay, God, I know what you're going to ask me to do, so I'm going to ask you, bless my brother, forgive him, bless him, bless his family, bless his kids. The next day it got easier, and by the seventh day, I was laughing. I was like, I felt like that picture of Jesus. I was laughing. <laughs> Lord, just bless him. Go ahead, just bless him. Give him great blessings. And God then restored a joy in my own heart that I hadn't had for a long time. So when Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven, those are true words. So I don't know, you make that application in your own life, in your own walk, 
as it as is, is appropriate. But if we think we can come and leave that gift at the altar, Jesus said, if you know your brother has an ought with you in the other Sermon on the Mount, leave your gift at that altar, go and be reconciled, and then come back. In other words, God really doesn't want our money if we haven't lived the sermon. You see, it's all about the heart, is it not? Everything we give, everything we do in our life, in our Christian walk, is about the heart. And when we give, it should be out of the gratitude and the graciousness of what God has done for us that we gladly give, whatever it is, whether it be give forgiveness or give non-judgmentalism or don't be condemning. All of those things, that's giving. And it takes our hearts to be right in order to get there. In fact, there's even this passage. Remember when the Lord said to Samuel back in 1 Samuel 15, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? Rhetorical question. Then he says to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. In other words, God says if we don't have the heart right, no matter what we give, it's not going to be an offering worth giving. So we have to get it right. Now here's, here is the best part of the sermon. So I have a prop here. This is my object lesson for the day. These are two measuring cups. One little, one five gallons. Now if you're walking up to the crawfish boil, which would you rather have filled? <laughs> this one or this one? Well, I think when it comes to blessings, I'd rather have this one, wouldn't you? I could put a whole lot of these in there. <laughs> well, now listen to the next words, and I think that illustration will, will come alive for you. Give, and it will be given to you. Now go back and think about giving the golden rule, being merciful, loving our enemies, not condemning, not judging, forgiving. So when it comes time to give, if we will then give with that kind of attitude, it will be given to us. Now look how it's going to be given. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be poured into your lap? Why the lap? Well, they wore tunics in those days. And so when they would walk up to the grain line, they would pull the tunic, the outer garment, and you would pull it up, and now you've got this big sack with your garment, and they would fill it with grain, enough food for the family. And so as we 
give in this way, God then gives back to us good measure, shaken together, pressed down, overflowing. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. So now you see the reason for the whole sermon, the golden rule, be be becoming merciful, Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive. All of this is so that he can bless us. He wants to bless us. He's waiting to give us the blessings. And if we will get this lesson right from the Sermon on the Plain, then we will be given in this manner. So, You want cups or you want buckets? It's our choice. And now we know how to do it. I think of John 3.16 as I close, and I think I prepared a little slide for this. I read this somewhere. You've probably read this, but I think it's appropriate. The greatest giver, God, The greatest love so loved the world, the greatest gift that he gave his one and only unique son. It takes great faith when we believe on him, whosoever believeth on him, to have the greatest life will not perish but have everlasting life. I think that's a great description of the greatest, gracious, loving God that there is. And he loves you. He wants you to know his son Jesus. And if you'll allow me, the laughing Jesus, that's how I picture Jesus. He's waiting for you to come to him. And he will give you eternal life. We're going to have a time of invitation. As we bow, Taylor's going to come to the front. The staff will be here. But I'd like to pray for you, and you respond as the Lord has led you. Father, we are grateful. As we imagine Jesus, he loves us so much. He's laughing with joy over us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You love us so much. that you gave to the Father's will and you came and you died for us on the cross that whosoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we extend your invitation to everyone here today. And Lord, I know there are dear saints who have been hurt this week maligned, conspired against. Father, help us be like Jesus. Help us become merciful as you are merciful. Lord, help us cry out and say, Father, forgive them. Bless them. Lord, we love you. 
Whatever it is you want to work in our hearts, Lord, only you know. Holy Spirit, you know what's in every one of our hearts today. Speak to each of us individually. Let us know what you want us to do. And we will respond with obedience. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.